invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, any elementary kids are welcome to gather uh, outside in the foyer with Mr. David and other children's ministry workers for the beginning of a children's worship time, if they desire. But for all of us who remain right here, we open the Scriptures together to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter Chapter 9, if you go about halfway through your Bible and backtrack just a bit, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, right in that area, you'll find Nehemiah. And as a church family, we've been journeying through this portion of the Bible. We've been uh, journeying, traveling together uh, through the story of, of Nehemiah, uh, set in uh, the 5th century B.C., where Nehemiah is serving as cupbearer to the king. Uh, of the Persian Empire, and many exiles are still displaced from Jerusalem and surrounding region as a result of the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions, and now they've been allowed to return back to the land and to uh, rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city's walls, and those tasks are now complete, and the focus of the story shifts a bit uh, to rebuilding the community of, of God's people. And as it goes, we come to chapter 9 today, and so let me invite uh, you, as is our common practice here, let me invite all who are able, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of of God's Word. We'll focus on the entire chapter today, but I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, on the 24th day of the same month, The Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Would you pause with me for prayer? No, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we give you praise today. We submit our our lives, our minds, our hearts to you now and invite you to speak to us through the reading and proclamation of your word. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Will you maybe see then? Imagine a, a revival. Or a camp experience where you set aside multiple consecutive days for worship and service to the Lord. And and you get a glimpse of the atmosphere the Israelites must have felt here. It's the seventh month, which corresponds roughly to our month of October. It's a big month on the Jewish calendar and already it's been quite the month. Uh, for these these Israelites. As we've walked through this story, they, they've gathered at the water gate. 
there in Jerusalem on the first day of the month. We learn that from chapter 8, verse 1. They gather to listen to God's word. And then we're told on the second day, chapter 8, verse 2, the, the teachers and the fathers regather to hear more of, of God's word. As we've seen, these weren't like 10-minute devotionals. They, they read the scriptures and they read the scriptures for hours with Ezra and the other teachers making plain the meaning or the message of God's word. There was hunger for the word because there was a hunger among the people of God for God. On the 10th day of the same month was the day of atonement, which isn't mentioned in Nehemiah, but I imagine the high priest led the people to participate in that solemn day of sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And then we see that on the 15th day of the same month, began a festival, the festival of booths or tabernacles, uh, where the people built shelters, temporary shelters. We remember that from last week where they were told to go out and cut down branches and build these little portable shelters uh, to commemorate their wanderings in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And that festival, that festival of booths lasted seven days, bringing us to the 22nd day of the month. And then we're told that on the eighth day or the 23rd day, there was an assembly of the people, chapter 8, verse 18. So now it's the next day. It's the 24th day of the same month. It's the 24th day of the seventh month, chapter 9, verse 1. The festivals are finished. And the people come back together. The people regather to finish what they started on the first day. They come together again. They, they gather again to hear the word. They gather to hear the reading of God's word. And we're told they listen for a quarter of a day, three hours, before responding with another three hours of confession and worship. Like, here's what we see. Humbly hearing God's word stirs believers to corporate confession and praise. Humbly submitting ourselves to, to the Lord. Humbly hearing his word. Humbly coming before him and listening to his word. Stirs believers, those with faith in him, to corporate confession and praise. Like, these people are eager to know and follow God. They come Fasting and wearing sackcloth, verse 1. Signs of remorse. Signs of, of mourning and humility before the Lord. Please for His mercy. There's a, there's a sense of solidarity in the community. A sense of solidarity as they gather to hear from God. And likewise, church, we, we've gathered this morning to hear from God. We, we, we've gathered this morning to hear from the very same God. So let's be present with one another, listening, engaging, participating, confessing our sins as we've already done together and praising our God. Let's gather with one another. Let's gather with one another. Let's be present with one another. Let's gather together as the people of God, hungry to hear from the Lord and to worship God. You see, there's a consistent emphasis on gathering here. A consistent theme throughout this portion of Nehemiah on the people of God coming together to worship God and to hear the word of God as Nehemiah's focus shifts from reviving the city's walls, which are now complete, 
to revive in the community of God's people. And as a result, revival breaks out. But there's no revival apart from gathering. There's no revival apart from, from hearing God's word. And so they, they gathered. So they came together. They gathered. And so do we. Not just routinely or religiously, but in humility. Truly believing that our Savior is great and that He is gracious and that His character stirs us to rightly respond to Him. So church family, let me invite you to hear the word this morning. We want to hear God's word this morning. We want to come before Him hungry to know and follow Him. And I want to read the rest of this chapter. It's quite a lengthy chapter. I'm going to I invite you to remain seated as I read the rest of this chapter, but it's a significant telling of God's story. In fact, it's an incredible biblical theological summary of what God has done throughout the Old Testament. Perhaps the most detailed, one of the most detailed summaries of God's work among His people throughout all of the Old Testament. And so as I read, let me encourage you to engage, not to check out. Let's listen to the Word. Like the people gathering that day, let's be hungry for the word. Let's hear from the Lord. And as we read, let me encourage you to listen for a couple things. Listen for what the Bible says here. Listen for what the text says here about God. Listen for how God is described, what he has done and who he is. The nature of his character. Let's listen to the word and listen for what the word says about our God. And as we do, let's also listen for what his word says about us. Let's listen to the word. Let's hear from the word. Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll pick back up where we left off in verse 5. and Take us to the end of the chapter. And so here's the scene. We just heard the Levites inviting the people to stand up and praise the Lord. And then they began praising the Lord. Listen to what they say. They say, blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted Above all blessing and praise, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. You made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai 
You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven and in the thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. Verse 16, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for the thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations. Allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness but they were disobedient and rebelled against you they turned their backs on your law they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you they committed awful blasphemies so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them but when they were oppressed they cried out to you from heaven you heard them and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said... The person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. 
By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes the hardship that has come on us on our kings and leaders on our priests and prophets on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today and all that has happened to us you have remained righteous you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly our kings our leaders our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit And other good things it produces. Because of our sins. It's abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. We give God thanks for the reading of his word. So what's going on here? That's quite the mouthful. That is quite the lengthy summary of God's work among his people from creation all the way to the present. So the Levites, who were the worship leaders, are leading the people here to praise the Lord. They're leading the people to to respond to God by praising him, detailing who he is and what he's done. What he's done for his people from creation... All the way to the present, that is up to this particular point in Israel's history, where they've now returned from exile to the promised land. And so this this prayer of confession and praise is incredibly calculated. It is it is not random. Like it traces the storyline of the Old Testament from creation to Abraham, to the Exodus, to the wilderness, to the conquest of Canaan, to the prophets who preached repentance to the exile under the heavy hand of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and now their return to the promised land. And two key themes emerge here. There's two key themes that that emerge from this particular summary in Nehemiah chapter 9. Number one, our sin. Our sin. Our, Our rebellion, our disobedience, our sin. And number two, God's mercy. Our sin and God's mercy. Like, did you catch that? You you can't miss it. It's all over this inspired prayer. The sinfulness of humanity and yet the mercy of God. Church, humbly hearing God's word ought to stir us to confession because the scriptures tell us we are deeply sinful. We are deeply sinful. Like we read it again and again and again in this story, not just in this 
summarizing story, but throughout the scriptures, that we are deeply sinful and have much to confess before a holy God. Like when we read the Bible with humility, there ought to be a sense of brokenness over our rebellion. Over our failure to love and honor and obey the the great and gracious God. When's the last time we came before God broken over our sin before Him? What an honest and open account here of the failures of God's people to love Him, to live for Him again and again. We read they were arrogant, verse 16. They they did not obey. They refused to listen, verse 17. They they failed to remember. They became stiff-necked in the rebellion. They were disobedient, verse 26, turning against God's law and killing God's prophets, doing evil in God's sight, verse 28. And so the story goes. It's not a good track record, is it? And yet, I dare say, such probably resembles, if we're honest, the record of our own lives. I can think about my own life, even this week, and sensing God's conviction of my heart for sin and Neglect and apathy of that walk with Him and knowing the Spirit is stirring me to confess that sin before Him and not wanting to. Like wanting to sort of resist that and, and buckle down. Like again and again, the recipients of God's mercy turn their backs on Him and this generation that we're reading about right here knows it because they've returned to His Word broken over their sins. They confess them to God. Let's be a people who confess our sins. Let's confess our sins. Church, let's, let's confess our sins. I don't know about you, but that corporate confession that we read this morning, I needed that. What a reminder it was of our brokenness of our sinfulness, and yet the mercy of God who readily and freely forgives us and welcomes us into His presence and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let's confess our sins. I'm reminded, I don't know about you you parents, but I'm reminded of teaching kids uh, to to apologize. Like, this is not easy to do. Like, you've been down... This road, maybe you're there right now, but it's sort of a hard concept to grasp. And I won't mention any names, but there was a mother and a child in my household, and I overheard a conversation going on this week uh, about that very thing. Uh, Sort of about paying lip service uh, toward an apology and and sensing uh, a moment where a mother is teaching her child. I won't mention which child, but, but you ought to feel sorry about this. Like you ought to, you ought to want to make this right. Like there ought to be something in you that wants to mend the relationship and own up to wrong. And I'm sort of thinking back, and certainly uh, Ashley's right; she's always right. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's, it's not easy to do. Like I don't want to apologize either. Like I don't want to confess my. It's not fun to apologize. It's not fun to confess, to claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if We confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, friends, this is good news. 
This is really good news. We, we are deeply sinful, rebellious by nature, yet when we humbly hear the word, we, we gladly, we, we do, we gladly confess our sins to this God, not because it's fun, but because of his character. Because he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Like, what an amazing God, what a gracious Lord, what a sovereign and merciful Savior. And how, how ironic here. That our troubles should seem trifling, verse 32, in his eyes. Like that would make sense. Our our troubles should seem trifling to him, small and insignificant to the mighty and awesome God of the heavens. And yet they, they don't. Like they don't. Our lives matter to God. Like what? Like our, our, our lives matter deeply to the one who made us, I, I go back to the web telescope space images that we've referenced the last couple weeks from the far reaches of the universe as we know it and can't help but feel exceedingly insignificant. Like a, a speck of a man walking the earth here today, gone tomorrow, and yet the God who made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, verse 6, cares for me. Like he cares for me and friend, he cares for you. He cares for you. He made you and he made you to experience his unfailing love. He knows, he sees, he cares. God cares for sinners. He cares for sinners. And because he cares, we gladly, church, we gladly confess our sins to him. For we know like the father of the prodigal, God welcomes his repentant children with open Arms Humbly hearing his word stirs us to corporate confession and praise because the scriptures tell us our God is forever righteous and faithful. They tell us that God is forever righteous and faithful. Like this is who he is. And without a shadow of a doubt, God is the central character of this story. Like he is the main character in Nehemiah chapter 9 and not just in Nehemiah chapter 9. He's the main character here because he's the main character of his word. Like, yes, we read about the failures of the Israelites. We, we read about the rebellion. We read about the lack of listening, of, of loving and serving God. And yet it's the greatness and the grace of God that shines forth the brightest in this text and in all of this book. He is forever righteous and faithful. Verse 8, you have kept your promise because You, God, are righteous, meaning God always does what is right. He always does what is right. And God, your your people were arrogant. They rejected you. Verse 17, but you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert him. Here's the consistent Old Testament refrain of God's nature. I mean, just consider the characteristics, the attributes of God mentioned here. I chose forever righteous and faithful. Well, we could have just as easily said forever compassionate and merciful, forever forgiving and patient, forever hearing, caring and loving toward those who trust in him. Verse 27. But when the Israelites were oppressed, they cried out to you, God, from heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28. And in your compassion, you delivered them 
you've delivered them time after time. Verse 31, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Church, we serve a gracious and merciful God who shows compassion to His people time after time. We we worship a time after time God whose story recounts His unchanging character and commitment to His people. So like the Levites in Nehemiah chapter 9, let's be a people who rehearse what God has done. Let's rehearse what God has done. Let's rehearse so that we remember how amazing our God is. Like, what, what if, believers, what, what if we read and memorized key biblical texts that tell God's story and recount His character? Like, what if, what if we took these things to heart? To help us remember, like the the Nehemiah chapter 9s and the Psalm 105s and Psalm 136s. You see, we're prone to forget. We're really prone to forget. We're prone, just like ancient Israel, to wander from God. To forget all His benefits. Which is why we gather to hear and rehearse what the Lord has done. This is why we sing songs that teach the Bible. Right? This, This is why we read the Bible Together, In other words, the word is so important that we reorient our schedules and that we shift our conversations so that we might know and remember our God. Verse 33 sums it all up. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous, God. You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. You see, church, because God is forever righteous and faithful, let's praise God for His great mercies. Let's be a people who praise Him. Let's praise Him for who He is and how He has dealt with us. Let's praise Him for His new mercies, His mercies that are new each and every morning. The people heard the word and they responded by confessing their sins and praising their God. And part of their worship is crying out for God to continue acting in ways consistent with who they know Him to be. In other words, they're crying out. Did did you catch that? The end of this particular prayer of confession and praise ends with intercession Asking God to continue acting in ways consistent with His character to see their need, to hear their cries, and to save them. You see, there's a clear sense in which this story isn't over. It's not the end of the story. It's not over. It's incomplete. And the people here, the people of God, the Israelites, they they know this. They know it's not over. They remain in occupied territory under enemy control in great Distress, verse 37, and paying heavy taxes to the king of Persia. So they pray. So they pray to this God. They pray in ways consistent with his character, with who they know him to be, in ways that reflect the way that he has acted in the past. They pray based on the character of God. They pray for freedom. Do they not? They say we're slaves. God, would you come and help us? Would you deliver us? They pray for freedom. And little do they know, church, the very God to whom they pray will one day come. He will one day come to this city, the city in which they're gathered. He'll come in the flesh. He'll come embodying all these very same characteristics, demonstrating God's perfect righteousness, while at the very same time overcoming humanity's sinfulness. Oh, church, you know, you know this story, right? The one that says the word. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The one that says, while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that one day we could be part of the multitudes of heaven, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, that worship the Lord God who saves the one who is and who was and the one who is to come. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. The story is to be continued. But we are privileged, Christians, to know the rest of the story. I don't know about you, but I remember, I'm sure you do too, I remember years ago watching television series and sometimes the episode was incomplete and it came up on the screen to be continued and you had to wait until next week to see what took place. That doesn't happen so often now. Everybody streams series like that. So we, we know what happened. We don't have to wait. We live in a right now sort of moment in culture. But but this story and the Israelites, the Levites, the people of God in Nehemiah chapter 9 in the 5th century B.C., they know this. They know that this is a story to be continued. And we're privileged to know the rest of the story. You see, God's provision for His people, His provision... In the promised land was only a foretaste of his permanent provision for his people in his eternal paradise. A place of unbroken fellowship and perfect friendship with God himself. Because the blood of the Lamb has made us forever right in his eyes. And the Holy Spirit will transform our hearts. So we will forever live for him. So that we'll forever want to live for Him and we'll actually forever live for Him. Oh, what a great and constant God we serve. What we see here is that God's compassionate character toward His people never changes. This is who He is. This is how He acts. This is the God that we serve. His compassionate character toward His people never, ever changes. It's the same from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation. His compassionate character toward His people never, ever changes. This is good news. This is great news. This is good news. So may our hearts be forever drawn to this God. Well, church, well, fellow believers, we, we've been invited to know the Lord. We've been invited to be the recipients of His mercy. We've been invited to be reconciled to Him by His grace through faith in His Son. We've been invited to be His people, the recipients of His mercy in Jesus. And since His compassionate character never, ever changes, since that's who He is, let's hear the call of Nehemiah chapter 9 to the people of God. Let's stand up and Praise the Lord our God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Chapter 9, verse 5. So church, let's do that right now. Would you stand with me? Let's stand up and let's exalt this God. Let's praise Him for He is worthy of our praise. Let's sing of His grace. Let's acknowledge that we've heard from Him. Let's acknowledge that we believe His word to be true. Let's recount His character. Let's lay our lives and our hearts before Him. Let's confess our sin. Let's praise His name. Let's respond in a way that is fitting for the Most High God, the God of mercy. Oh, God, lead us even now. Lord, as we sing, may we sing to You. Lord, as we confess, Lord, lead us to confess our sins to You. Lord, help us to remember and to recount Your character. Help us to believe in Your promises. God, help us to lay our lives at your feet. Lead us for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.
Amen.